We're middle of the res road. We're your hosts, Morgan, Ricky, and Alyssa. We're here to share the success stories of people who took the opportunity to join the trades and how these opportunities can be achieved by anyone looking for success. Our work may be seasonal, but our stories don't have to be. Become your own success story. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. This time we are on another Zoom meeting. It's middle of the res road here with one of our sponsors, Talon Metals. We have Jess from Talon Metals. Thank you for coming on and letting us interview you and kind of put you in the hot seat a little bit. <laughs> yeah, thanks. Thanks for having me. It's exciting to be here. Um, I guess we'll just get right into it. Um, you want to like introduce yourself? Tell us who you are, where you're from. Yeah, definitely. Um, so my name is Jessica Johnson. Uh, I am the community outreach manager at Talon Metals. Um, I'm originally from Hill City, Minnesota, um, just south of the, the Grand Rapids area in Aiken County, um, just about an hour west of the Duluth area. Um, that's where I was born and raised. Um, I went to school at the University of Minnesota in Crookston and got my degree in uh, natural resource management and communications. Um, I've been working with Talon Metals here on the, the Tamarack project um, for about three years now. Um, before I was with Talon, I was actually working at Long Lake Conservation Center, uh, which is one of the um, state of Minnesota's uh, environmental uh, learning centers uh, for students across the state. Um, but I, I joined Talon, you know, three years ago, I, I felt like it was a, a really good segue from my time at Long Lake, teaching people about natural resources and how we manage those resources um, in a responsible way to doing kind of a similar thing with Talon Metals with community outreach and teaching people about our project and, um, you know, what we're, what we're looking to do with the project in terms of natural resource management. So what do you do in, in ta talent then? going from, from that Yeah, position? so, so basically um, what I'm in charge of is overseeing all of our community outreach. So that's both sharing information with the community about what our project is all about, um, but also gathering feedback from the community. So um, I do this in a few different ways. We have an open door policy at our project so people can schedule tours and I'll go out on the project site and walk people through our buildings and meet our team and, and show them what we do. Um, take them out to uh, our drill rigs to see the exploration process um, of the Tamarack Nickel project um, and just really answer questions and, and gather feedback. Um, some other ways that I do outreach, I attend a lot of local meetings. So go to you know, county, city, township meetings, lake association meetings, um, just to provide you know, presentations and information um, and then we also host community events, and these are open to the public where people can come and meet our team, and um, we have food and, and information, and uh, just a good time to also build relationships with people. Awesome. Cool. Sounds yeah, it, it is fun. I, I get to meet a lot of different people, which is, I think, the exciting part about the job. So you went college for communications would you describe yourself as more of like an extrovert then because you're super good at talking and <laughs> building relationships? Um, surprisingly no I actually think I'm more of an introvert which is really weird I think I I like talking to people for my job and presenting and communicating information um, I think the combination of having a natural resource degree background and communications, I like to try to simplify you know, 
scientific information so that people have a better understanding um, who maybe don't have a science background. Um, but I'd say just in my personal life, I definitely just enjoy kind of being alone, not talking yeah. as much, probably because I talk <laughs> at work all the time. So I'm more like to just do my own thing. I'm a pretty outdoorsy person, actually. So I like to um, go running and do cross-country skiing, um, ice fishing. I'm getting ready for once it's cold enough and the lakes freeze mm-hmm. over. Um, it's happening pretty soon. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But not as much... Um, you know, talking to people outside of work, surprisingly. Yeah, cool. So what does your typical day look like at Talon? Yeah. Um, so, I mean, I think I covered what my personal day today is between meetings and, and presentations and giving tours. Um, but I guess in terms of our whole team at Talon, day-to-day work is kind of divided into two categories. So our team is working on exploring the geology around the Tamarack area. Um, We're an exploration company. Um, Really what our goal is, is to search for places where there is high-grade nickel and copper and other metals um, that we could potentially um, turn into mining operations to gather those sources of materials um, to incorporate in our you know, daily lives um, and also for the, the clean energy transition. So um, nickel specifically, which is the, the key metal that we're searching for is used uh, in the batteries of electric vehicles. It's actually what helps the uh, vehicle go a longer distance um, without having to charge. Um, and that, that's a big focus for our project is being able to find sources of nickel um, to be put into electric vehicle batteries. Um, this last year, we actually uh, were able to get into a, a partnership agreement with Tesla. And in that agreement, uh, if we're successful and we become uh, an operating mine, we would be supplying a portion of our nickel to Tesla to actually go into electric vehicles uh, made here in the USA, which is um, pretty exciting. You know, it, it, it was a good accomplishment to reach that milestone, but it, there's definitely a long ways to go with our project. We still need to um, go through a lot of steps in the environmental review and permitting pro- process um, before we can get to construction or operation. Um, so day-to-day we're still, exploring and and trying to find uh, additional sources of nickel. But with the one location that we've already identified the nickel, um, our teams are working to begin the environmental review process. So we have a whole bunch of people that are working to collect um, environmental data. We have a team of engineers that are designing uh, mine plans. And then once we compile all of that information, we'll be submitting that to the state and federal uh, regulatory agencies to start the environmental review process. So kind of a lot going on in terms of day-to-day. There's really exploring uh, for nickel, but also preparing to um, hopefully begin the construction and operation of an underground mine um, in Tamarack. I thought it was a lot of like lithium went into the batteries so they're that's that's they're called lithium ion batteries but there's lots of different metals that go into those batteries so lithium is one um, but specifically there there's an anode and a cathode portion of a battery and in the cathode portion uh, is where you see the nickel um, and there's a there's several different battery chemistries that you can use to to make a battery. Um, quite a few of them are nickel-based that, that incorporate the nickel, um, but there's also iron-based batteries. And that's something that we're looking at too because uh, the rocks that we have here in Tamarack also have a lot of iron. Uh, so we're looking at ways to be able to produce uh, the nickel product for nickel-based batteries, but also the iron product for the iron-based, um, which is pretty cool too because 
typically that iron wouldn't be used for anything. It would actually just go as a waste product in a waste pile. Um, so we're trying to see if, you know, instead of it being waste, we can actually utilize it as, as a product. Mm. Very cool. Yeah. Oh, I was going to ask. Um, so Talon mainly mines nickel. What if there are other metals pulled out of the ground? What do you guys do with those then? Yeah. Um, so ultimately we're trying to utilize as, as much material as, as we can. Um, so in our, in our minerals that we see, nickel is the, the primary. Um, we, there's also copper, cobalt, um, platinum, palladium, gold, silver. Um, all of those kind of come together with the geology that we see um, in smaller amounts. Uh, so in the, the processing, um, we would be looking to extract, you know, as many of those as possible. So you'd typically have a nickel um, concentrate where it's um, you know, just the nickel separated from the rest of the material and a copper concentrate. Um, sometimes with those, some of the other metals get kind of scooped in with them. Yeah. And then we're also, um, like I mentioned, looking at the iron um, uh, concentrate as well. So my question is, how did you guys find it in small town Tamarack? I mean, <laughs> That's a really good question, actually. Um, we get that question a lot. People say, why are you even looking in Tamarack? Why start there? Um, and it's actually kind of a cool start story. It started back in the 1970s, actually. So in the 1970s, the state of Minnesota um, used money from the penny per pack cigarette tax increase. So the, the extra money from increasing the tax on cigarettes was used to fund a statewide um, geophysics survey. And the whole point was to survey the state of Minnesota to gather information on any potential areas that companies would maybe be interested in exploring for metals. Um, so the state did this survey. It was actually a, an aeromagnetic survey. So they had an airplane that they flew back and forth across the entire state. And um, they, they did the aeromagnetic survey and that data came back with any anomalies or unique areas that just looked different than other places that they might wanna follow up um, with drilling. And Tamarack was one of those locations so they, they did two drill holes just down to the bedrock to collect a sample and send to the, the lab to see what it was. Uh, and they ended up uh, doing this for the whole state and, and made a report that they published in the 90s. And um, when that report was published, there was a geologist who worked for Rio Tinto a Mining Company, and he knew enough about nickel geology that when he saw that report, um, the rocks that they saw in Tamarack, he, he thought were, um, that that made it a good place to want to explore for nickel. Uh, so he was able to kind of spark that interest for Rio Tinto to first start exploring. Um, so they started drilling here to explore and collect core samples um, in 2002. And then our company, Talon Metals, joined as a partner to Rio Tinto uh, in 2014. And we're now the majority owner and operator of the project. Um, we're still in partnership with Rio Tinto, but we just get to see the day-to-day -day operations and really um, drive the project forward. Um, so that, that's what we've been doing now. But I always think it's a kind of a unique backstory that yeah, really what, what brought us here was, yeah, some data that was collected by a cigarette tax increase that the state I funded. I remember that was one of our trivia questions a couple, like a, a long time ago, a couple episodes, probably right when we first started. Yeah. Um, and we were all like so shocked that it was that far back. Right? Yeah. I, 
I think it's interesting. I mean, it kind of just goes to show how much work and time and effort goes into trying to gather all of the information that you need to even start an underground mine operation. Um, there's, there's a lot that goes into it. And um, there's a lot that's already happened on this project, just in terms of understanding what's here. Uh, but there's still um, a long ways to go in terms of all of the um, environmental data and the engineering and the, the full detailed mine design. Um, those are all the things that our, our team is working on as we speak. So, so oh. oh, go ahead, Morgan. <laughs> I just wanted to touch base on that you guys are an explore, exploration project right now. And you guys have how many drill like rigs? Didn't you guys just get like six new ones a couple months ago? A few months yeah, ago? Yeah, so, so we had three and then we got three more just recently. The, the last one actually just showed up on site a couple weeks ago. Okay. Um, so we're up to six total. And so, okay. um, so you're correct. We are an exploration company right now. So we're not actually mining right now. Uh, we just use the drill rigs to collect core samples. So the drills, they go out at certain targeted areas that we've identified through more of our geophysics surveying. And the drills get set up and they drill a hole uh, down into the bedrock. We see uh, the nickel mineralization anywhere from 300 to 2000 feet deep. So very, very deep underground. Um, and they, they pull up a core sample, which is basically a, a tube of rock that's about this big. <laughs> um, and in that, that tube of rock, we then uh, bring that into our core shed where our team of geologists examine those core samples and they really collect all of the information that goes into our computer database and builds out a 3D model that really shows us what does the, the nickel look like that deep in the ground. You know, it's, it's not just a nice pretty block of metal underground. It, mm -hmm. it kind of moves and flows. There's narrow parts, thicker parts, and that's really what our team is doing right now is defining what is the size and shape and scale of that mineral resource. And then using that 3D model for the engineers to design, how would you create a tunnel to go down to that location? How would you safely remove the metal that you want and leave the rest of the material that you don't want? Um, that's what I think it, it, is pretty uh, special about this project is the metal is very high grade. So it's very compact underground rather than being dispersed amongst the ground. If it was, if it was dispersed, then you'd have to design more of an open pit where you would collect all of the material, even material you didn't want just to extract the pieces that you did want. But since we have that high grade uh, metal, we can plan a design where there's much a much smaller footprint. You can just tunnel down to the area you want to focus on, extract that metal, and then leave leave the rest. Um, so, so that's really what what our team is working on right now. How much does one of those drill, drilling rigs cost? Just just out of curiosity. Oh my goodness, I I don't actually know off the top of my head, but I mean, hundreds of thousands of dollars. They're, they're pretty expensive, but, um, you know, the way we explore is pretty unique to other exploration yeah. companies. Uh, a lot of times you would just hire a separate drill contracting crew to come in with their own drill and, and work on, on the project. And, um, we really decided to hire our own drillers. Um, and, and have purchase our own drill rigs. Um, we did this during COVID actually. Um, when, when everything shut down, we kind of had a choice to make. Do, do we shut down? Cause you, you couldn't get a, a drilling company to come out. Everything was shut down. Um, so we decided, you know, do we do that or do we purchase our own rigs and, and try to move things forward? 
And we chose to purchase our own rigs, move forward, um, hire our own drillers. Um, and, and that was really beneficial for us because we were able to continue exploring um, and, and we've grown since then. We really started with purchasing one drill rig and having one drill team and now um, we're up to six. And that was just you know two years ago when we decided to do that. And you guys are looking for driller helpers, is that correct? Yes. You guys yep. are we we are actively hiring right now. Actually, if if you go on the Talon website, I have it pulled up here. There's five uh, different positions open right now, but the drill helper is one of them, um, which is is a, a learn on the job uh, position. Um, and yeah, there's there's quite a few different opportunities. There's also environmental technicians, uh, entry-level positions, um, geochemists, um, data specialists. So um, lots of different job openings. We've, we've really grown our team quite a bit in the past two years. Um, when I started, there was eight people on the Talon team total. That, that included the management team, which is based in uh, Toronto. And now we have 87 people on our team. Wow. And oh my gosh. Yeah. 70 of those are on site in Tamarack. Um, wow. That's between the drillers, the, you know, we also have, you know, field operations and safety teams, um, and then the geologists and the environmental scientists. Um, so uh, a whole bunch of different, uh, opportunities, I guess. Very cool. We'll definitely check it out if anyone is looking for a job or knows somebody. It sounds like a great place to work. You guys are all so friendly and open and nice. Thanks. Yeah, yeah. And, um, you know, if if people are interested too, you know, like I said, we do tours. So Mm -hmm. um, people can also learn about the project just by coming to site and, and getting to see the, the operations more and what it all entails and, and meet the team. Speaking um, of that, um, you, we were actually on a tour with you and you said that Talon is kind of in between two seated territories. Yeah. I was going to ask you how, um, what has Talon done for the indigenous communities within those seated territories? Yeah, so that's a that's a really good question. Because we're the the project is right between the 1855 and the 1854 um, ceded territories, um, where we are really focused on exploring and and where the potential underground mine would be um, is within the 1855 ceded um, territory, and a lot of what we do right now in in terms of our tribal community engagement is. Um, the the same as the the broader community as well, really trying to connect, build relationships and um, educate about the project, but also gather a lot of uh, feedback and input. Um, Right now where we're at with the project, we have a lot of opportunities to change our design and change our plans. And we really want the, the whole community to see that we're, we're listening to, to people's input and then actually taking action and, and changing our plans. And so um, in a lot of our engagement, both with um, tribal communities and, and um, the broader community, uh, we heard interest in you know, what type of job opportunities could come with this um, project. But we also heard some hesitations and concerns regarding, you know, maybe how many people would move to the area. A lot of people like the the small town vibe. Um, And also concerns with how you safely manage uh, processing these metals uh, and the tailings, the the leftover material, how you properly and safely manage those. and so one thing that, that we've recently done uh, with our plans is, you know, we've heard this feedback, 
And um, some of our latest changes to our plan have included moving the processing portion of the operation um, and the tailings management to an offsite uh, industrial location in North Dakota. Um, so really that entire uh, part of our, our new plan moving forward has stemmed from our communications um, with both tribal communities and the broader community on, on people's feedback of what they're interested in. So now as we move forward with our plan, we're looking to have the underground mine uh, located here in Tamarack and then the ore would be put onto covered rail cars and then transported via rail to an industrial um, facility that's out in North Dakota. And at that industrial facility is where we would develop the processing, which is where you separate the metal from the rock. And then the tailings uh, management would happen at that site as well. And so that tailings management would also be looking at a, a dry stack type facility where your leftover material, um, you remove water from it, it's a, a dry uh, mound. But we're looking at ways to um, mix that leftover tailings material uh, with fly ash from the coal uh, power plants out in North Dakota. And by doing that, we can actually neutralize or uh, buffer uh, the material so that prevents the potential for any acid um, generation or, or potential acid leaching, which is the primary concern that people have with tailings management of, of this type of mining. So, you know, get, getting back to, to your question, you know, it, this all stems back into building relationships and talking with our communities on, on what are their key concerns, what are their interests, and then how can we actually bring those back to our plan and make big impactful changes to our design. Um, so I'd say that that's one of the big things we're trying to do. Um, we're also, you know, just honestly trying to learn, um, learn and understand more about the history and the culture of this area. Um, and, and I think you just do that through trying to get involved in as many community activities as possible. Um, so that's something I'm always interested in learning more about. If, if folks are um, interested in having us um, join our, or participate in, in any community meetings or events or, or want us to um, you know, be a part of anything, we're happy to do that. Always, always a room to learn and grow, I think. For sure. I love that. Does Talon have kind of like a diversity um, opportunity for like indigenous communities, people of color um, to apply and? Yes, definitely. And we actually, we just recently um, this past year joined the Minnesota Tribal Contractors Council as well, yeah. um, just as another way to try to um, spread the word about our project, but also network and, and meet more um, tribal community members and business owners um, to see if there's ways that we can connect even more. Um, e even if there's you know, not the specific right job with talent um, for people, there might be ways that we could collaborate with tribally owned businesses. Um, in our day-to-day -day operations, we need a lot of things from, you know, um, purchasing fuel and parts. And um, every once in a while we need to hire out, you know, special jobs for fixing things. Um, you know, we try to spend our money locally as much as we can, um, whether that's, you know, office supplies, all, all sorts of things. So um, we're, we're definitely open to trying to collaborate um, with businesses and tribally owned businesses as much as we can. Yeah, you guys are 
very good at including everybody. And um, I think uh, here at Middle Rose where we can tell that. Um, have you guys touched base with like any like cultural surveying? Yeah, so that's, that's definitely a part of the data that's being collected right now um, to get ready to start the environmental review process. Um, so we've done some initial, just very preliminary cultural survey work, um, but we definitely have a lot more to do in the coming year as well. Um, we tried to get some initial work done uh, before the snow, and then <laughs> the snow came a little bit quicker than we anticipated, <laughs> uh, so we had to take a pause on on that initial work. Um, but but we have um, started with that. And you, you guys drill throughout the whole winter season, correct? Yes. Yep. So, so we do the exploration drilling and collecting mm -hmm. core samples uh, 24 seven actually. So the oh, drill rigs yeah. have a day shift and a night shift, and then there's a shift that's off. Um, so typically with that drill helper position, um, you rotate, uh, you'll work days for two weeks and then you have a, a whole week off. And then when you come back, you work nights for two weeks. So it's two weeks on a week off, two weeks on uh, a week off, and then you rotate between days and nights, but the rigs, um, do operate 24 seven all year round. Crazy to think about. <laughs> Right. <laughs> that has to be so many core samples. Then there are. Um, <laughs> I mean, we are. There are more core samples to log than uh, geologists that we have. I mean, so there's. We actually have a, a building right on Main Street in Tamarack that is strictly just shelves of boxes of core samples. Oh my gosh. Then when our geologists are ready, we can actually take the boxes out so they can lay them on the tables to gather the information. Um, but yeah, there's there's a lot of a lot of samples, but you need a lot of samples in order to really understand um, right. what it is that's here. So what happens after the exploration process? Then what happens after that? Yeah. Uh, so the next step, um, as, as we're, we're wrapping up the exploration of the area that we identified nickel. So as we wrap that up, we're now preparing to enter the next phase, which is the environmental review process. So we're planning to start that process in February of next year. And what that entails is we basically compile all of the, the information that we've been gathering about uh, the geology, about um, the environment surrounding the project from surface water, groundwater, wetlands, uh, wild rice, uh, aquatic wildlife, uh, terrestrial wildlife, uh, all, all these different components. Um, and we compile this into reports that get submitted to the state and federal regulatory agencies. Uh, and that starts this process where they um, are looking um, from, from an environmental perspective at what are the potential impacts, um, what are potential ways to mitigate or avoid or manage um, those impacts. And in this process, as you start it, there's also um, opportunities for the public to weigh in and comment and review uh, all of these. So these are public documents that get shared. Um, and through this process, it, this is basically the, the public process to determine if a project can move forward to apply for permits or if you need to change your designs or go, go back to the drawing board. Um, so that's the next step that we're entering. Um, so hoping to start that next year. Um, and then, you know, as you move through that, the goal would be to be able to apply for your permits and, and get approved in those and uh, hopefully construct and operate 
um, the underground mine. So I kind of have a random out of left field question. <laughs> what is the value of the nickel that you guys are looking to mine? Like how much that, yeah, the dollar amount that's in the ground? That's a really good question. Um, so we actually just did a new uh, technical report that updated our mineral resource estimate for estimating how many minerals or how much is in the ground. Um, but that did not include the economic side of it yet. So we still have to do an updated economic analysis of that. Um, so I don't have a specific answer for you on that, but that should be coming in the coming year where we, okay. we update the economics of it. But um, just like in terms of our Tesla agreement, um, I believe that agreement is for um, 165,000 pounds of nickel uh, in, in concentrate form. I'd, I'd have to double check our, our press release on that. But um, yeah, there, there's, it, it's a small footprint in terms of, you know, the, the metal is very highly concentrated together. Um, but uh, quite, quite a bit, big impact in terms of being able to provide this source of material to our, our domestic supply chains. Can you touch base a little bit about the project in Michigan that you guys just took part of? Yeah, yeah. So um, our company recently uh, just got the, the exploration uh, rights to a 400,000 acre land package over in Michigan, um, kind of close to the Eagle Mine um, near Marquette, Michigan. Um, we actually don't have any set plans yet for beginning exploration there, uh, but really what that gives us is just an opportunity to continue doing um, the exploration that we do here in Tamarack, but at another location where we think there's a really high potential to, to find more nickel and copper and, and these other metals um, needed for the clean energy transition. So this was just a way to you know, expand on the opportunity to continue doing exploration work. Um, you know, a lot of times when you're done with exploration, when you've already identified a resource, you stop exploring and you just focus on moving that resource into production. Um, but we really wanna continue exploring throughout the area, both Minnesota and Michigan, um, while also moving forward to try to um, produce uh, in an underground mine. That's very cool. Yeah. I have a quick question. So there's the Eagle Mine in Michigan. Mm -hmm. You guys like communicate with other mines such as like the Eagle Mine or PolyMet just to kind of learn from each other or touch base. Yeah, yeah. The the mining industry is actually a very small, uh, smaller group of, of people. So um, yeah, I, I personally talk with a lot of the community relations people from the, the Eagle team. Um, but, but same with, you know, others, you know, engineering teams from different companies can talk with one another and learn from one another. Um, I think it provides a lot of good opportunities to um, learn yeah. what works and what doesn't work early on so that you can make changes and make improvements. Um, I think that's how we've come to where we are now with modern mining and all these different technologies and techniques that are, are used in different um, areas. Um, so yeah, it's, it's definitely helpful to learn from others who've already, um, you know, been through different steps and, and are in production. Yeah, I think that's important to be able to have open communication with everybody to yeah. learn. Definitely. <laughs> Cool. With with that being said, Minnesota is kind of like a mining state. You know, you have the Iron Range up north, and Duluth was like kind of a hub for mining companies. Um, on like a 
your personal opinion, how important is mining to Minnesota? Yeah, um, I think, you know, even beyond Minnesota, I think mining is extremely important just globally. Um, If you look, you know, in terms of what we're trying to do as a whole in, um, you know, reducing impacts of climate change, uh, reducing our carbon emissions, that all goes into trying to shift from a fossil fuel centric world and how we operate to more of a a mineral uh, focused where we're transitioning to all these different types of clean energy, whether it's wind or solar or hydro or uh, electric vehicles. Um, And in this shift to doing that, uh, to try to combat climate change, we're we're going to need minerals. But if the whole point is to do this to reduce the impacts of climate change, you want to be gathering these minerals and sourcing them in a responsible way. Um, And I think, you know, what we see in Minnesota and and the whole United States is a very, very robust, you know, process of how you go through environmental review, making sure plans are really following um, strict ways to manage um, operations safely. And you don't really see that uh, everywhere else in in other countries, for example, Um, there's not the same set of standards. Um, So I think it it really is important for Minnesota and, and for the US to to try to be at the forefront of showing here's how we can responsibly source these minerals that we need if globally we want to take this shift towards uh, cleaner energy. I guess like that's something I hear a lot too is, oh, we should be pushing renewables, we should be pushing renewables, but a lot of people don't realize that that comes from the ground. And yeah, but, but I think, you know, the, the thing that, that we sometimes forget about too is these metals are infinitely recyclable mm-hmm. where fossil fuel, you, you burn it off carbon emissions and, and it's, you know, adding and contributing to climate change, global warming. But we have an opportunity to, once we have the, the metals out of the ground and we put them in a system, think of aluminum cans. We, we have our pop cans, we have a, a good system for continuously recycling those cans and reusing them because there's enough in the system already and we can keep recycling. We're not quite to the point of having enough metals in the recycling system for you know, wind and solar and uh, electric vehicles. But we, we can get there if, if we get enough metals in the system and we build out the recycling capabilities, um, we could get to a point where you can just have that circular economy and, and continue to recycle and reuse um, those metals, which I think is the ultimate goal. Um, it's gonna take a lot of work, it's gonna take you know, a global effort of, of everyone working together. But I think that's where we're starting to see that push happen. I was, I can't remember exactly, but I was reading an article where like throughout human history, we mined 600 million tons of copper or something like that. But we are going to need that much within the next 25 years. Yes. <clears throat> I forget. I, I've read that same thing too, but um yeah, I forget exactly how it's worded, but in order to to meet the goals that we're trying to reach, um, yeah, it's something like um, even more than what we've already mined throughout human mm-hmm. history is what we need, you know, before 2050 or something like that. that yeah, that's so crazy to think yeah. about. Yep. And so, I mean, if if that's the goals we're trying to reach, we definitely want to make sure that we're doing the the actual mining and sourcing these materials um, in the most responsibly and and safe way that we can. Um, 
and I think we have the ability to do that in Minnesota and and in the U.S. Speak so to kind of like piggyback off the responsibility thing. What happens after you get all the permits done? The project goes through. You get all the nickel and ore that you were int- intending to mine. What happens afterwards? Yeah. Um, so in, in the state of Minnesota, um, there's, you know, you have to have your closure and your reclamation plans uh, included uh, actually before you do the construction or the operation. So those um, plans for how you would reclaim the land um, back to back to a natural state and the closure plans um, are something that need to be developed um, and put into our environmental review and permitting process. So that's something that's, um, that our teams are, are working on and that would be a part of that regulatory process um, before we'd even start um, construction. Um, but, but that is, you know, that's something you're right, that needs to be thought of is the full circle, you know, from, from mine to end of, end of life mine, um, and then also thinking about those metals and where they go in and how are they getting recycled. And um, that, that's something that Talon, you know, is interested in, in learning more about and, and trying to see if we can um, actually watch where our, where our metals go. Um, we, we work pretty closely with two of the leading recycling um, companies in, in the US, uh, Redwood Materials and, and Lifecycle, um, just because, you know, we think it'd be really cool to say, you know, metal that came from Tamarack was put into this electric vehicle and then at this recycling facility and then put back into this next electric vehicle and, and yeah. be able to actually watch that kind of like, um, the labels we have on our food, you know, people care about where your food is sourced. Is it sourced locally? Is it sourced responsibly? Mm-hmm. I think we're starting to see that people want to know the same information about other items that they use in their day-to-day life, whether it's their phone or maybe their car, you know, are, are the materials that were used to make that item, you know, um, sourced in a responsible way. That's awesome. It's nice to know that you guys are still constantly adapting and learning to do different things. And I'm excited for what Talon Metals will bring in the future. Yeah, I'm excited for next year for you guys, for sure. Thanks. Yeah, it's, I, I think um, it's going to be an exciting few years for the project, especially as we start that public process and the environmental review. And, you know, I would just encourage folks to be a part of it and, and be a part of the process and be involved, share, share your input, um, come to our community events and meetings, reach out if you want to have a tour, um, lots of ways to to stay involved in the project and learn more. When is you guys' next community event? It's actually next Wednesday. So this is perfect timing that that we're doing this. So um, next Wednesday, there's actually going to be two different sessions during the day um, for people to come to a meeting. So at 12 o'clock and at 6 o'clock, next Wednesday at the Tamarack Snow Flyers building, uh, which is right on Main Street in Tamarack. Um, Typically at these meetings, we have some food, we have a presentation, and then just kind of open time uh, for people to have one-on-one conversations with our team. We'll have some of our core samples there and maps and um, just a good time to, to casually chat with our team and learn more about the project. So if anyone wants to come there, it's open to the public. Anyone can stop by. I love your guys' open door policy. It's, it's so cool. Yeah. Just anyone can yeah. check it out. and Just take I, it from us. Wear not fancy boots. Wear like 
hard yes it is outdoors and yeah you, you definitely want to dress for the weather <laughs> Jess definitely did ruin a pair of my shoes I'm sorry. I should have washed them for you. (laughs) I don't think we were expecting a tour, though, that day. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of impromptu. I'm just used to, you know, when people show up, I just, the first thing I say is, hey, want to go out to the drill rigs? Want to? Yeah. That's awesome, too. It's worth it, though. It, It was very cool. Yeah, definitely. So Jess, if there's anything you would like to tell our listeners, what would it be? Um, I think for me, it's, you know, from the community side of things, it's just, you know, if, if anyone truly has questions, concerns, I, I would want people to feel comfortable reaching out directly to us, um, I know sometimes there's hesitations or caution about going to the company, um, but I would just hope that people um, can see that our door truly is open and we are happy to have conversations with people um, you can meet anyone from our team. Um, you know, I, I will give a tour to one person or 10 people. Um, you know, you don't have to feel like you you need to put together a, a group of people for a tour. Uh, yeah, give a tour to one person. Um, so I think that's what I would want people to know, or I just feel comfortable reaching out, or just call on the phone or email. Um, anything. All of our information is on our website. So. So that's another way people can ask questions is by going on your website. I'm sorry. <clears throat> yep. Yeah, so um, on the website, there's um, our phone number, there's uh, email, our email address. So, you know, if you really, if you didn't want to call, but you just had a quick question, you can ask that um, right off the website. So we wanted to provide lots of opportunities for people to reach out in whatever method they're most comfortable doing. Well, thank you so much for. Thank you for your time. Yeah, yeah. letting us put you in the hot seat a little bit. <laughs> no, no, this is great. A lot of fun, and um, like I said, if you know, as as the project continues and we, you know, start entering different phases of the project, I'd be happy to come back and and share more updates on where we're at. Yeah, that'd be awesome, actually. Mm-hmm. Very cool. Well, thank you, Jess. Yeah. Thank you. Bye. And we will see you guys next week. Bye, guys. Bye. Bye. Bye.